35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Welcome to the Friday edition of the program. We do not go gently into the good weekend. A lot of stuff to cover on today's show at approximately 940, as I was describing to my producer, Hondo. 940-ish, we are scheduled to be joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. He, nothing to talk to him about, like what is going on with health care. I am particularly interested, when we had a chance to interview Congressman Paul Ryan a couple days ago, he said, look, the, the Senate has to do nothing, do something. Doing nothing is not an option, because doing nothing essentially kills health refer- reform, period. I mean, the House has passed a bill, so the Senate either has to take up the House bill or pass its own bill or pass a repeal. They have to do something. And We'll ask uh, Senator Johnson what that something will be. So he's coming up uh, around 940-ish, as I say. All right. Back where he belongs. All this week, we've been talking about the story of Rakeem Woodley. Rakeem Woodley is the 19-year-old Milwaukee man who was allegedly um, involved in the carjacking, forcible theft, assault of a 75-year-old woman in a Piggly Wiggly store on Washington Street in West Bend. This is, uh, you, you can picture the Piggly Wiggly. If you ever drive into West Bend on um, Washington Street, East Washington, which is like 33, you, you could drive past the Piggly Wiggly. 75-year-old woman, 7.30 in the morning a couple days ago, coming out of the Piggly Wiggly, and Woodley allegedly goes up and assaults her, grabs her, takes her keys, drives off in the car. Now, now again, it says something about crime in Milwaukee now spreading to the suburbs, which is one of my points. You know, if you might say, oh, it's the city of Milwaukee, you know, why do I care that you've got all this out-of-control crime there? But you should care if you live in the surrounding communities because the criminals in Milwaukee aren't content to just stay in Milwaukee. It's not like there's a giant fence around the city. So they are spreading out looking for targets of opportunity. What is particularly aggravating about this case, though, and, and Woodley is the person that the police have identified. He is innocent until proven guilty. But Woodley... Um, Woodley had been sentenced essentially to time served just a couple months ago for very, very similar conduct. And it was back out on the street again uh, put after being put on extended supervision, which essentially we, we now know it's, it's meaningless, just absolutely meaningless. And the bigger point is, if Woodley had gotten an appropriate sentence when he had been sentenced for the first thing he did last year, we, we wouldn't have had to worry about it because he wouldn't have been out in a position to assault somebody else. But because he got slapped on the wrist, essentially got time served, but put on extended pro, um, supervision and told, don't violate the law again, well, we know how badly, how much that works. So now... At least, and then of course Woodley disappears. The good news of the story is he was apparently arrested yesterday morning, about eleven fifteen, as they describe it, hiding in a relative's home near Twelfth and Greenfield in Milwaukee. Apparently, they found the stolen car in the area, and then ultimately were able to identify Woodley. He is now behind bars, and since he chose to commit his crime in Washington County, and believe me, I, I don't take any pleasure at all in seeing the fact that you've got criminals from Milwaukee who are coming out to wa- Washington County to terrorize those residents. The only difference is that um, my guess is the judges in Washington County and the judges in Ozaki County and Waukesha County and Dodge County, my guess is they are going to take well, a slightly less progressive view of the catch-and-release policies that some of the judges in Milwaukee County take. So um, Rakeem Woodley, at least for the moment, appears to be 
back where he belongs, which is behind bars. Okay, we start off this program like we start off every program, three big things, things I think you should need to discuss at the water cooler, at the gym, or at lunch. Story number one, the Russia investigation continues. Now, on yesterday's program, I, I... I was talking about a story that appeared, interestingly enough, in the front page of USA Today that talked about how many, many, many mainstream Americans, both Republicans and Democrats, are sick of Russia, Russia, Russia. They're, they're just they're, they're tired of it. And the, the, obviously, you know, if, if there turns out to be evidence that the president of the United States, his campaign, colluded, conspired with Russia to hack into Democratic servers or something, you know, that would be a huge story. And obviously you you want to pursue that. I get it. And I also appreciate that if you've got Russia trying to meddle in U.S. elections, that's something that you want to identify and you want to figure out how you can stop it. Although my guess is Russia's been trying to do that for years, just like my guess is we probably, quote unquote, meddle and try to influence elections in all sorts of foreign countries to get people that we think are going to be sympathetic to our interest in. But nevertheless, you don't want to have Russia doing that. So I have no problem with the investigations. My problem has been the coverage of this, which is completely and totally, in my opinion, out of proportion to the, the issues. When we talked to Paul Ryan the other day, he was saying, hey, the, the same day James Comey was testifying about Russia and being fired, you know, we were repealing the Dodd-Frank bill. It's just, I mean, Congress actually has been doing a lot of stuff. You don't hear about it because the mainstream media is obsessed with Russia, 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 Russia. Is this the new Watergate? Are we going to bring President Trump down? All those type of things. Whereas the, I think, average American is concerned about taxes and security and jobs and whether or not their 401ks are making money and health care and things like that. I just think that there's an out-of-proportion attention to Russia, and this is one where I believe the media and the chattering class are, are way beyond the curve when it comes to, uh, again, where mainstream America, that silent majority of people are, regardless of whether you're Republicans or Democrats. So anyhow, that. The latest Russia story is that uh, a number of headlines, Trump's lawyers explore pardoning powers and way to undercut Russia investigation. Now, Robert Mueller, uh, former director of the FBI, he's conducting this investigation into the activities of Donald Trump and whether or not there was collusion with Russia during the campaign as um, the equivalent of a special counsel. He has a lot of powers, and one of the things that apparently he's talking about is maybe he's going to turn around and subpoena all Trump's tax returns, things like that, which is infuriating the president. The story is that apparently, at least in broad terms, in broad terms, you know, the president has started asking some of his own lawyers, you know, what exactly are my pardon powers? Could I essentially end the criminal aspect of this investigation by saying there's nothing here? This is a distraction, and so I am going to issue pardons. I'm going to pardon my son, Donald Trump Jr., for anything connected with the Russian investigation. I'm going to pardon Paul Manafort. I'm going to pardon anybody I want, up to and perhaps including himself. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Some people are saying... Hey, this is an interesting strategy to adopt. You could put an end to it. And the truth is, after a moment of outrage, a lot of the American people would behind, be behind you because they're sick of the Russia investigation. I don't think it would play out that way. 
but I am curious as to your reaction. 414-799-1620, what would happen? What would be the fallout? Would it be a good idea for Donald Trump to just short-circuit this entire independent counsel investigation and pardon everybody involved in the campaign? 414-799-1620, what do you think? What would happen? We'll discuss in just a minute. It's 844. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Roger Waters brings his Us and Them tour to the BMO Harris Bradley Center next Saturday, the 29th. Today is your last chance to win a pair of tickets from us. Keep listening sometime before noon, and you could be enjoying the music of Roger Waters featuring songs from Pink Floyd right here with 620 WTMJ. Number of stories are saying that President Trump is considering, at least asking some preliminary questions about how far his pardon authority goes with the idea that should he just end the Russia inquiries once and for all, at least the criminal inquiries, by issuing pardons, pardons to his family, pardons to his aides, pardons to members of the campaign staff, theoretically even a pardon to himself. Now, one of the open questions under the law is whether or not a president can pardon himself. And nobody knows the answer to that because no president has ever tried to pardon himself. So that would... Obviously, if you tried to issue a pardon to yourself, that would, as the president, you'd have a constitutional firestorm. I don't know how that would work out. But the president does have broad pardon powers. Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution says the president can grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States except in cases of impeachment. A couple people were writing in on the text line saying, don't you have to be charged before you can be pardoned? No. No, no, no. You can give pardons prospectively. Richard Nixon was never charged with a crime, and yet he was pardoned by Gerald Ford, a move that pretty much ended the Ford presidency um, as far as at least his electability. I mean, he was it was a blanket pardon up front before that there were any charges that were issued. So it essentially ended any criminal proceedings. I don't know. Again, the answer is to whether a president, a sitting president, can pardon himself. I don't know how the Supreme Court would ultimately decide that, but the president could certainly issue a blanket pardon against uh, for his son and for anybody else in connection with dealings with Russia. Now, just because, as we frequently say on this show, you can do something, that doesn't mean that it is the right thing to do. Uh, let's see on our text line four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Andrew says, I want the whole Russia thing gone as much as anyone, but you know it will be spun as an admission of guilt. Um, Yes, it would. Here's what I think about this whole thing. I think, and I'm with Andrew, I think the the whole Russia, 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 kind of like the Brady Bunch, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha story, I, I think this is being dramatically overblown. And I appreciate that there might be, you want, like I was saying earlier, you want to find out if Russia was involved in meddling with our elections. But I think in general it has been dramatically overblown. I, I, I do. Um, and the obsession with this, I think, is a distraction towards, towards other things. But eventually water finds its own level, and people are going to start tuning out, and then the media is going to go you know, find some other squirrel to chase. If President Trump were to issue prospective blanket pardons up front, I think as a practical matter, it would it would end his presidency. 
Um, I would guarantee that he was going to be a one-term president, and it would perhaps it would probably end end his presidency. Period. Not necessarily having leading to impeachment, but his ability to get stuff done because people would view this as an admission of guilt, and they would view this as okay. Here is the president who is. Um, believing that you know his aides and his family members are above the law of the land, could he do it? At least as the family members and aides and campaign workers, he could. If he does it, I think it would be an absolutely disastrous move because if his approval ratings are 36% now, I have to believe that even among those 36% of the people, if you did something like that, it would perhaps cause... 15 or 20 percent of them to turn against him. Now, I recognize there, there is a hardcore group of people who President Trump could do anything at all. And, you know, nobody would find fault with that, just like that there's a hardcore group of people who don't believe that he can do anything right. But um, I, I think a pardon would be disastrous for the Trump administration. It would be disastrous for the office of the presidency. It would be disastrous, I, I think, for this country. And for that reason, I, I hope cooler heads prevail. And when the pardon discussion comes up, it's just like Nancy Reagan used to say about drugs. Just say no. All right. Coming up next, just say yes. It's 855. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Festa Italiana starts today. World-class musicians, the Russo brothers, join John McCure and the Wisconsin's Afternoon News crew for a preview of their festival performance. All the fun begins at 3 o'clock today, live from Festa, sponsored by Hometown Windows and Doors. All right. Just say no to the idea of pardoning your aides. That would be my advice to President Trump. My advice to the embattled police chief, the arrogant and embattled police chief of the city of Milwaukee, just say yes. For months and months and months, the Fire and Police Commission has been taking testimony and studying the effects of the idiotic policy regarding chases that the city of Milwaukee has had since 2010, a policy which has led to thousands of drivers just simply driving away at high rates of speed, thumbing their nose at police, knowing that in most cases police are not able to chase them. All right. It has led to, in my opinion, increased crime. It has led to more carnage on the streets. It has led to the police becoming laughingstocks. Ed Flynn is one of those guys, the police chief, where he just he thinks he knows better than everybody. And he has steadfastly refused to alter his policy because he knows better. So the Fire and Police Commission, after months and months of study, issued this directive saying, hey, we this is it. We want you to change your policy. Essentially, if there's cars that are involved in drug trade or cars that have run from you on multiple occasions or cars that are recklessly endangering people's lives by the way they're driving, go after them and catch them. Well, Ed Flynn doesn't want to do that. So he says, well, I, he's now speaking about this. He's outraged that they, they came out. This came out of the blue. He says, I, I was on vacation. Well, all right. They've been studying it for months and months. He's apparently outraged that the directive says, do this or else you're going to be disciplined. Of course, the Fire and Police Commission, I'm sure, put that in because they know Flynn's response to this stuff, which is, I know better than everybody else. The update is Ed Flynn has apparently hired a, a lawyer. Now, he has a right to hire a lawyer. I Perhaps, theoretically and hopefully, the lawyer is advising him on what his employment rights are if he refuses to follow the directive and they then take action against him. So, I mean, I understand why he might want to have a lawyer. Candidly, if he is going to refuse the directive, he needs a lawyer. 
And Flynn's comment is, well, I, I'm going to issue a report by the deadline. Don't issue a report, Ed. Do the right thing. This policy, maybe when you developed it in 2010, it was with the best of intentions. Okay, I'll give you that. But in 2017, it's not working. Your job is to try to apprehend the bad guys. Your police chase policy has been a disaster. And rather than just pretending that there's no problem here as thousands and thousands of people drive away laughing at the cops and going on to commit other crimes or hit and kill people you got to get them off the street so i mean look i hope this doesn't end up being a showdown the last thing the city of milwaukee needs is a battle between the mayor and the fire and police commission and the police chief all right you hope that it doesn't need that because at the end of the day everybody should be working together to make the streets of the city of milwaukee safer the way you do that, though, and the ball is in the police chief's court, it's really simple. Just say yes. You don't need a lawyer then? All you say is, okay, this policy that they've implemented, fine. This is what they've told me to do. We're, we're going to do it. We're going to take the handcuffs off the cops. We're going to let them try to, under appropriate circumstances, get the bad guys off the street. That should be what everybody wants. The only reason Ed Flynn needs a lawyer is if he's planning on refusing the directive from the Fire and Police Commission. And if he were to do that, he would be a fool. Stay tuned. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner. Big story number two coming up. OJ, TV or what? Stick around. It's 9.08. This is Jeff Wagner. During Mike's report, Hondo, he was talking about the Mississippi football coach who's out because uh, of, like, conduct that's unbecoming. He didn't say what that conduct was. You know what the guy did? He um, Apparently, they looked at his cell phone records, and he had been using his his state-issued cell phone to do to make more than just recruiting calls to potential athletes. Apparently, there were a series of calls to... Um, high-priced escort services. <laughs> you know, it's like, oops. All right. So there, there, there's a number of lessons th- that are here. You know, Wagner's rule of life. You will make it like 14 A, B, and C. You know, a being, um, if you're in one of those public positions, first of all, don't call the escort services. Uh, ask Elliott Spitzer. Nothing good comes from calling the call girls. Okay, that's number one. But number two, if you must call the call girls, don't do it on your work cell phone. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, get... Get your own darn cell phone. It's like, you know, most of us have multiple email accounts. I've got the work email account, and then I've got the private email account. You just don't mix those things up. Um, Actually, the way it came out was kind of interesting because Mississippi is involved in this nasty lawsuit. The former football coach is suing, and he's been claiming that he was wrongfully, that he he was owed all sorts of money under his contract, and he's been losing uh, pretty much consistently, but he's apparently the one who found out about this and dropped the dime on the current former football coach. It's sort of like a woman scorned. The guy is taking a scorched earth theory, and if I can't get my money, I'm going to take down everybody, and he apparently succeeded in taking down the uh, current football coach, and no sympathy for him. Um, don't call the escort services, number one, and number two, don't do it with your own phone. All right, big story number two, and by the way, Ron Johnson coming up in about 30 minutes, a lot of stuff to discuss with him about, well, what's going on in Washington nowadays. Big story number two, O.J. Simpson, the man involved in arguably the crime of the last century, if not the crime of the last century, one of the crimes of the last century, and I understand there's still some people who think O.J. Simpson is not guilty, but also, there's people who think that the Martians are getting ready to land in Cathedral Square Park any day. So, O.J. Simpson is a guy who, in my opinion, committed murder, 
and manage to get away with it through a whole confluence of things. But, you know, he's committed murder. And to the surprise of, I, I think, very few of us, despite getting away with it, he couldn't keep himself out of trouble. And he got involved in this harebrained scheme, and it was really it was kind of the gang that couldn't shoot straight, to commit an armed robbery in Nevada um, a number of years after he was acquitted. He got caught on that. He got sentenced. Uh, yesterday, a parole commission voted unanimously that uh, to release O.J. on parole. It's, it's not a surprise that they did that. Um, Simpson, who does not appear to have... Uh, again, changed his. <laughs> yeah, he he testifies in front. He makes a statement in front of the parole commission. He says that he's a good guy. Eh, aside from those two people I killed, I'm pretty. I'm a good guy. I basically have spent a conflict-free life. <laughs> you know, what do you even say to, to somebody who says that? Um, but but the bottom line is, since he has been in prison, he's been there for nine years. He has been essentially a a model inmate. Um, the victim in the case testified in his favor, saying, hey, I, I've settled with Simpson. I've forgiven him. I don't mind if he's going to be released. That that nine years is about the range that people would serve for the crime he committed. And you're not going to deny him parole based on the fact that most of us know, regardless of what the idiot uh, idiotic jury did back in the Simpson case, um, the murder trial, uh, you, you can't deny him parole based on the fact that most of us think that he got away with, with murder. So just looking at you know his nine years in prison, the fact that he has been essentially a model prisoner, it's not a surprise that he ended up getting parole. The question, though, and what is interesting to me is, what what comes next? Now, I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see, for example, any network hiring him to be a football commentator. I don't see him... Well, I, I don't know, um, making money necessarily on the speaking tour. But one of the things that's being thrown around is the idea that, you know, there's going to be some network somewhere that will jump all over him and hire him to do his own reality TV show. Let's follow O.J. Simpson around. Let's see where O.J. is now. And some of the thinking is that there would be a large group of people who would watch an O.J. Simpson reality show, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that it almost sounds ridiculous to say this. I, I get that. But you know what? I am I am willing to bet that, I don't know, within six months or a year after his release, I think he's going to have his own reality TV show. And you know what? I think that there might be a certain segment of the population that is going to watch it. Some people because watch it because O.J.'s their guy. Other people watch it because, well, you know, it's got to be a train wreck waiting to happen. Will O.J. Simpson succeed? Could he succeed as a reality TV star? What does the future hold for him? I, I would be appalled if somebody did it. But you know what? I think that is exactly what is going to happen. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What does the future hold for O.J. Simpson? Could it be TV? Would you watch? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 915. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
917, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Just a coincidence. We're talking about O.J. Simpson being released, and that's Glenn Fry's uh, as Smuggler's Blues. All right, I, 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 I'm telling you, I am willing to bet that six months after he gets out of prison, he's going to be the star, quote-unquote, of his own reality TV show. Let's talk to Laura in Door County. Laura, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? I think that I would only watch that show if he were to spend the entire time looking for the person who killed his wife. Well, of course, that would just mean he would probably be standing in the in his bedroom looking at a full-length mirror. That would arguably be what would happen there. Yeah. Isn't that true? Yeah. That true? But yeah. Otherwise, it would have absolutely no meaning for me whatsoever. He killed Nicole Brown, and if he hasn't spent his whole life since then looking for murder. Right. Well, that speaks volumes to me. Well, don't you realize, though, that when, before he committed this last crime that got him com- put in jail for nine years, he, he was looking for the murderers. It was just like one golf course at a time. They could have been on the first tee at, you know, whatever that public golf course he used to play at was. I mean, he's, he, you, you never know where you might f- find some of those murderers. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the call, Laura. 414-799-1620. See, this is the response you get. Now, it's, it's interesting. One of our texters says, uh, Dan says, many younger people, the type who watch reality shows, don't know who O.J. is. In other words, he's yesterday new, yesterday's news. No, I'm not I'm not sure I agree with that. Matter of fact, I don't think I agree with that. I mean, I think especially given all the attention in the last year or two, the you had the, the Emmy-nominated series um, on, about O.J. No, no, I, I think I think O.J. Simpson is somebody for the generations. Now, people don't know necessarily um, younger people might not remember, you know, all the dynamics that went on at the trial and all the, the different, the how somehow we were able to racialize this. You know, O.J. Simpson be, becomes a essentially a representative of the persecution of the black man in America. Really? I mean, so I think people might forget about that. But still, I think people know who O.J. was. Debbie in Milwaukee. Debbie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. You cracked me up, kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Um, I, I agree with the, the last caller, and I wouldn't actually give him the time that show the time of day. I would boycott it. There's not that much that interesting about his life, and I hear he he makes twenty five thousand dollars a month because he's a retired football player. Oh, I'm sure he gets a pension. I'm, I'm sure mean, there's uh, a pension. Yeah, football player, basketball. Player. No, basically, no, he's a retired football player. No, that's he was. A, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I I just. just very tired this morning. So, so the idea, so the idea of OJ having his own reality show, you would not be tuning in at eight o'clock every Tuesday night to watch that, huh? No. What could what could possibly hold your interest on him at this point? I thank, thank, no. I'm, I'm right. Yes. What thanks? What what does OJ Simpson have to say to the world that the world really needs to hear? I mean, OJ Simpson. I've led a conflict-free life. Well, except for the time I killed my wife and I killed that other guy, and I'm I'm a really nice guy. I'm a good guy. Uh huh. You will, except for that that time when I I killed my wife and the guy that she was with. Okay, let's see on our text line. I have a Rolling Stone magazine. OJ on the cover. He said he has led a conflict-free life. Uh, total B. Yes. Uh, well, there is that. Let's see. Um, I wouldn't watch, but I hope some people do. That's the only way the families of those he murdered could get money from him since they can't access his pension. Yeah, that's uh, that's the thing that's out there. Uh, let's see. John in Yorkville text. The, I think the juice has soured. In court, he looked like he just wanted to be with his kids away from the public. Um, 
Yeah, I I don't think so. I think OJ to me has always been the master manipulator. And I mean, and again, I, I he was going to get parole. That's just the reality. And and you can't the parole board, like I was saying earlier, the parole board can't decide. Hey, he's been convicted of this particular crime, the armed robbery or the conspiracy to commit armed robbery, or whatever. Um, we believe he skated on a murder charge before that. We're going to deny him parole because we believe that he's a murderer. You, you can't do that. You can only look at the offense and look at how long he's been in prison and look at um, how he's behaved in prison. But, um, man, Greg and Fond du Lac writes, I doubt that will happen. He has a $50 million judgment against him. He will never work again or he will have to pay it. Um, right, because then it would go to the Goldman family. Um, they think he's going to live on his pension. I don't know. Don't know that that's going to happen at all. Um, let's see. OJ has had 14 of his 15 minutes of fame. Give him his reality show to take up that last minute. Well, if if, if Ozzy Osbourne can have a successful reality show, if the Kardashians can have a successful reality show, um, if a lot of the other really, really, really troubled, yeah, Hulk Hogan, if a lot of the other like troubled quote-unquote celebrities could get reality shows. I, I'm just telling you, I think O.J. Simpson, mark my words, mark the tape, Six within six months of his release, he's going to sign a deal, I predict, with some obscure either cable company or, or maybe it'll be one of these direct streaming things. You're going to hear the life and times of O.J. Simpson, and they'll be paying him some dough. It is 922. This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. Big thing number three coming up. It's 925, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Some sources are claiming that the state budget talks are now revolving around the incentive package for a possible Foxconn acquisition. If true, what would that mean for state spending? John McCure shares the latest at 3.50 during Wisconsin's Afternoon News. John is going to be live from Festa Italiana. Tune in, sponsored by Hometown Windows and Doors. Big story number three, and Ron Johnson coming up in about 15 minutes. Big story number three, two Milwaukee police officers injured in hit-and-run crash on the northwest side. Now, we, we've talked repeatedly about the carnage on the area roadways. And, you know, that ties in, I think, with the Milwaukee Police Department's policy that the police chief appears to have dug his heels in on, saying, you know, we're, we're going to allow people to, I don't know, drive recklessly and just drive away. It seems to me on almost daily, or certainly two, three times a week, you have a story about a hit-and-run situation, somebody slamming into some other car and then driving off. If the cops are able to find them, the people run away. Many times the car is stolen, but you don't know why the people run. But it is the standard procedure in the city of Milwaukee, apparently, to drive like an absolute idiot. And then when you cause damage, as long as the car is still running, you try to get away. Sometimes it ends badly because the car... I don't know, plows into a tree and somebody ends up dead. But but a lot of times the people get away and then they steal another car and then they end up committing a crime. Now, in this particular case, it is so bad that, all right, now even Milwaukee police officers are being run down. But when I first saw this story, two Milwaukee police officers injured in hit-and-run crash on the northwest side, I have to confess, I thought, I thought, they were going to be sitting in their squad car. And again, one of these situations where somebody blasts through a red light and smacks into them. That's not what happened. All right. Yesterday afternoon, apparently about five o'clock, 
two Milwaukee police officers were on foot patrol. So they're walking on Sherman. It's it's near Sherman Boulevard and Villard. So they're, they're on foot patrol. And what happens is apparently some car goes speeding by like a bat out of you know where, um, slams into, um, let's see, what they say is that there's a woman in a van and a man in a truck. They're arguing back and forth, apparently driving at a high rate of speed, bang into a car, go up on the sidewalk, hit these two Milwaukee police officers who are on foot patrol, and then, you know, take off. Um, one of the officers, 54-year-old guy with 14 year olds, years of service, the other had nine years of service. Uh, apparently, I don't think they were seriously injured, thank goodness. But again, this is another one of these situations where you have cars driving at incredible rates of speed. People can't keep track of them. They bang into cars. They lose control. They go up on the sidewalks. Now they're hitting cops and driving off. There is an epidemic of this type of stuff. It is the reckless driving. It is the hit and run. And it needs to stop. And this kind of ties back into what we were talking about 30 minutes ago. The starting point is the police have to do everything they possibly can to catch the people that do this. When they catch the people that do this, the DA's office has to charge them, and the Milwaukee County Catch and Release Court System needs to say, okay, this is a big deal. On top of it, you know, we talk about the state laws and all. I I think it's time, to the extent that they are driving their own cars as opposed to driving stolen cars, I think it's time to include seizure provisions. Start taking the cars to the extent they're not stolen. And I appreciate a lot of times they're driving stolen cars. But if you have somebody driving recklessly in their own car involved in a hit and run, I say take their cars. I mean, that that is the only way that you are going to be able to prevent them from doing it again. Take the cars, um, seize them, sell them. I don't care what you do with them, but get them out of the hands of the reckless drivers. Maybe, again, it doesn't work if it's a stolen car. That goes back to the owner. But on those rare occasions when the people are driving their own cars, take them. Get them off the roads. How many people have to die? How many people need to are, have to be injured? How many people have to have their cars smashed up and go without? I was talking to somebody yesterday, talking about how she depends on her car. I mean, somebody steals her car or somebody smashes into her car and it's in the shop for two or three weeks. That impacts a lot of real people's lives. At some point in time, don't we need to protect the average citizens from the reckless drivers it's now so bad even cops are getting involved on the uh, cops on foot patrol are being victims of hit and run big story number three wake up milwaukee all right coming up in just a couple minutes we're going to be talking to senator ron johnson and it's a lot of money but i don't see what the big deal is 935 jeff wagner 620 wtmj ron johnson in just a couple minutes first dumpster update uh this is I've been getting a ton of emails and, and phone calls and people stopping me on the street about the, the, this silly story. I've been in my house for about 30 years, and um, I'm in the process of getting ready to make some life changes. And and, and one of those is I, I'm starting to deal – after 30 years, you accumulate a lot of stuff in a house, just stuff. And as I've described, the stuff fits into three categories. There is – there's the stuff I use – which is about 3%. And then there's stuff which is, is good stuff that I don't use that obviously I'm gonna, at some point in time I'm going to donate it, get it to a good home. And then there's all the clutter, just just junk, stuff that's not worth donating, just 
not trash necessarily, but just junk. So finally, I said, okay, I'm going to try to attack this. So I order a dumpster. They drop it off earlier this week, and I've been telling these stories. I've just been having a blast. I mean, I filled the dumpster with stuff, a little bit of stuff in the house, but out of a washroom in my garage, I filled this dumpster. I mean, that shows how much stuff I have. So the dumpster is full. I've had a lot of fun doing it, very cathartic, uh, kind of this cleansing sort of thing. And so the dumpster's full, so I called the place yesterday, and I said, hey, can you pick it up today, get it out of my driveway for the uh, – for uh, you know the weekend, they say sure we'll come and get it. So last night about eight o'clock, I'm I I just I was working on something. I have this, I'm a mess. I have like nothing in the house to eat, like literally nothing in the house to eat unless I want to have Cheerios. So I said okay, I'm going to run out and get something. Now the dumpster sits in my driveway, full of crap. So I, I leave. I come back ten minutes later. There's a car parked kind of in front of my driveway, sort of blocking it with doors open. And it looks like I'm having a lawn sale at the house because there's crap all over the, the, the sidewalk and the lawn in front of my house. And I'm going, what the hell happened? I've only been gone for 10 minutes. And I see there's these two women who are dumpster diving. They're hauling crap out of my dumpster. They're climbing all through the dumpster. So I get out of the car and I said, um, excuse me. And the woman says, well, we, we thought it was trash. I said, well, it, it is, but it's like on my property. You're on my property. You're climbing around. Well, we knocked on the door, and nobody answered. I said, well, yeah, okay, so okay, so nobody's home. You knocked on the door. So here, I'm here. Why don't you just come on in? Help yourself to the TVs. And, and at the truth of the matter is, I really wouldn't have cared, except in the dumpster, there's also there's construction waste. There's boards with nails in it and things like that. And I mean, all I'm picturing is that you know one of these people who's climbing through this full dumpster is going to step on a board with the nail in it, or is going to slip and fall as they're climbing over the different stuff. And then I'm going to have a lawsuit. That's the lawyer in me. But I'm looking at all this crap on my on the sidewalk and the front lawn, and I'm going, what? And so I guess one person's garbage is another person's treasure. And they said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, okay, just. I said, yes, it's it's my trash, but it's not a lawn sale. I mean, it's not help yourself. But anyhow, I said, okay, just I tell you, take what you please get out of the dumpster. Take what you have already and just go. And that's fine. And, and they, they ended up doing it. But it's and I'm like, my God, I was gone for like 10 minutes and people climbing all around the dumpster. I'm thinking, okay, but again, if if if, if they want people want this garbage that that's fine I, I didn't really have an issue with it but it's like i'm only gone for 10 minutes and these people literally they're climbing through these heaps of stuff and i'm picturing this woman i i just picturing her stepping on a nail on a board or something and then i'm calling my insurance carrier and then it's good jeff wagner gets sued because somebody's injured trespassing on his property so um the dumpster is going there's going to be another one in a couple weeks but that was sort of my my update it was like oh dumpster divers at eight o'clock in my neighborhood all right coming up in just a couple minutes we hope to be joined by the senior united states senator from the state of wisconsin ron johnson stick around it's 938 this is jeff wagner it's 942 jeff wagner 620 wtmj we are now joined live by the senior senator from the state of wisconsin ron johnson senator good morning Morning, Jeff. How are you doing? I I am well, Senator. Let, let me not bury the lead. What's going on with health care in the U.S. Senate? Well, for, first of all, I was listening to your earlier segment about uh, your cleaning your, your, <laughs> your house and garage. Right. Sounds like you experience. If, if you want to hire out, I've, I've got a task for you. <laughs> okay. Okay, well that's that that that's fair enough. It was I'm telling you I'm telling you Senator, it was very freeing just watching all this stuff go into the dumpster. Um um oh so so where I'm, I'm, I'm envious, trust me. Where do we stand with health care? What's going on in the Senate, Senator? Have jumping senators, you've got an administration that's dedicated to 
getting a result. I mean, that is just true. Now, you know, Jeff, the difficulty here is we're faced with a really big mess. I mean, the changes are collapsing. I think they were they were far more in, you know unstable uh, than anybody anticipated they would be at the beginning of this process, and, and they're just getting worse and worse and worse. And as you're seeing in the House and in the Senate, we've got a pretty broad spectrum of opinion within our own conference. So it's a difficult task. You know, for my part, uh, I've been fully involved as, as engaged as anybody. Uh, my, my, two mer- my two primary points have been we really ought to repeal the entire bill so we can start from a clean slate, get rid of those market reforms, distortions that have caused premiums to skyrocket. You know, 105% on average nationwide. I know in Wisconsin I've talked to people where premiums have tripled and sometimes more. Uh, that would solve so many problems. It would make health care affordable. What the American taxpayer supports would be less. And, of course, I am highly concerned about the disparity between expansion states and non-expansion states and the pressure that Medicaid expansion puts on uh, legacy Medicaid. And that, that's the Medicaid for disabled, for children, for elderly. Medicaid expansion is targeted toward able-bodied, childless, working-age adults, and the federal government funds that to a much higher level percentage. And that's, that's actually putting at risk Medicaid legacy. So those have been my primary issues. Uh, but I, I, I'm not giving up. I don't think anybody's giving up. It's just, it's just tough. It's complicated. Senator, did I understand, would you then be in favor of a standalone bill which would repeal Obamacare with the idea then being it's repealed, something that to replace it would come in the foreseeable future? Would you be in favor of something like that? Well, I, I, I would vote for that, but we, and by, by the way, the President made a strong case on Wednesday at lunch, we need to repeal and replace. If, if that's all we can do, we do it, that'll put so much pressure on replace, which we'll immediately start taking up and, and working on. If you do repeal it, by the, by the way, there'd be some delay, a couple year delay, uh, but let's face it, you know, let's not procrastinate, Let, let's actually move toward uh, a replacement bill. Now, what we're talking about, because of all the compromises being made, because unfortunately we, we, we've got too many members that aren't willing to honor their promise to fully repeal Obamacare, you know, it, it's not a real satisfying result, but if, if it's a step in the right direction, if it's continuous improvement, I'll certainly support it. And I've been pretty vocal saying I'll definitely get on the bill and try an amendment. I've, I've got, I think, a couple pretty good amendments up my sleeve here to, to improve it even further. Senator, when I had an opportunity to talk to Paul Ryan earlier this week, he, he was stressing the fact that he thought it was important, crucial for the Senate to do something to keep this process moving along. Will the Senate do something in the next couple weeks? That's what I'm working diligently to, to accomplish. And again, you really do have 52 senators and administration and the speaker that are dedicated to doing that. So, again, it's, it's not easy, but no, nobody is giving up. And, you know, listen, what, what it looked like uh, like we had failed on, on Tuesday when four members said they weren't going to vote for motion to proceed, what did the president do? He said, no, I'm not going to accept that. Come on over here for lunch. Uh, he, he did a pretty good job of leading in that, in that uh, lunch. He, he honestly did start twisting some arms, I think that's a good thing. Does the fact that uh, Senator McCain is now going to be apparently incapacitated for a while, does that does that complicate this whole process, losing one of those votes? Yeah, knowing John the way I know him, um, he, he's not going to be incapacitated. He, he is going to crawl back to Washington, D.C. if we need his vote. I mean, John McCain is an American hero. He is a fighter. Like Lindsey Graham said, cancer's never come up against such a fighter so 
I, I expect John will fight. I think he'll be back. Um, we're, we're all praying for him, and I, I encourage all the listeners to pray for a great America. We're talking to United States Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, I, I, one of the things that I think a lot of us, e- even though there's these splits on health care, there seems to be more agreement on some f- sort of tax reform policy. Are we going to see tax reform out of Congress this uh, this year? We have to. You know, what, we, what we're already seeing, and Jeff, we do need to step back in, in the midst of this frustration and, and uh, you know, slow process. Let's first acknowledge we saved the Supreme Court. Let's also acknowledge that this administration is moving forward with significant regulatory reform. You know, it's significant just the fact that we're not over-regulating anymore. We've at least hit the pause button. We've, you know, turned back some regulations. The agencies are looking at these things, going to overturn them using the regulatory process. So there's the, to me, that's the biggest impediment to economic growth is regulatory reform. We're fully engaged in that. Tax reform is the next step, and we all recognize it. Uh, you know, I've, I've got my own proposal in terms of corporate tax reform, but I'm never going to let perfect be the enemy of the good. We've got to do this. I think we all recognize we have to do this. So, you know, once again, we've got uh, Republicans in the House and the Senate that are dedicated to getting a result. It's, it's just a hard process, and it's frustrating, and, and you've heard me say this, Jeff. Nobody can out-frustrate me, <laughs> but uh, we remain dedicated. Well, Senator, let's talk a little bit about some of the accomplishments. I mean, if if all people do is they if they get their information from the cable news networks or some of the headlines in the newspapers, you, you would think that this Congress has done absolutely nothing. There is the obsession with Russia, and there's the concentration on health care. But, but actually, both the Senate and the House have accomplished a lot of stuff beyond just even the regulatory reform that you were talking about over the last several months. Well, saving the third branch of government is pretty important. You know, so not only do we nominate somebody like Neil Gorsuch, but now we've got appellate courts that have been flipping to more, you know, judicial activist courts. You know, we can maybe, you know, at least solidify those that haven't slipped, maybe flip a couple of those things back. That's a huge accomplishment. And again, I, I've been saying for quite some time the number one component of a solution is economic growth. The number one impediment to that is overregulation, and we're addressing those things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's slow progress. You know, government tends to ranch in one, one direction up. But if we can at least pause that you know, just relentless growth of government, that's actually a pretty good accomplishment in, in today's uh, world. Senator, there was an interesting piece on the front page of USA Today yesterday about all the coverage that has been given to Russia's involvement in the election and whether the Trump campaign was colluding with, with Russia. And, and it was interesting because they started talking to a lot of mainstream Americans, both Republicans and Democrats, and, and pretty much everybody was saying, we, we think that the whole Russia thing, we're tired of it. We want to concentrate on stuff that's more important to us. It, you know, it, Has the Russia thing been a distraction? Is it over-covered? Covered, I'll tell you, I don't think it's distract any member of Congress. You know, other than the fact that the press asks us questions and it ends up being getting annoying from that standpoint. But no, we know what we got to do, and we're going about our business. And, and we know we've got a president that will sign our legislation. So that's that's why I keep saying this is an hour of court. You know, the, the House passed a health care bill. Just keep the process going. You know, hats off to them. Now the Senate's grappling with it. You know, I, I think we'll pass the bill. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be far from perfect, but it'll be a right to step in the right direction, like the president very appropriately said in the White House uh, on Wednesday. you got somebody here who's going to sign it. You know, for the last six, six, seven years, you've had a president not willing to sign it. I'm willing to sign it. i got my pen in my hand. I'm sitting in the Oval Office. Send me something. 
again, I, I thought that was appropriate pressure on the Senate. We heard the message. We're going to try and get him that, you know, put that piece of legislation on his desk. Uh, Senator, switching gears a little bit, how big a concern is North Korea? I know that there's a bill being considered that would prohibit Americans from traveling to North Korea. What, what do we do with that situation moving forward? First of all, dramatically increase our missile defense systems. Uh, we have we have allowed, you know, we have not progressed anywhere near as, as far as we could, we should have, as you know, the Obama administration hollowed out our military, probably the the one thing that they, they, we may really pay the price for is we didn't progress in terms of missile defense. But we, we've got to lean on China. And let's face it, with, with all the, the trade and, and, and their exports coming to this country, we've got a fair amount of leverage, and this administration is trying to apply it, uh, hopefully in an intelligent fashion. But China has the greatest influence with uh, North Korea. They need to utilize that influence. And let's face it, it would not be good for China to nuclearize the the you know, Asia. Uh, and so they've got a fair amount of dissent as well. So we've got, to, we've got to put pressure on China, but we've got to recognize the reality that uh, the dangers in this world are growing. We have nuclear proliferation combined with missile and ballistic missile technology. We've got to beef up our own missile defense system. Senator Johnson, I know you've got a busy schedule today. I want to thank you so much for joining me this morning. I do appreciate it. Have a great day and weekend. Absolutely. It's uh, United States Senator Ron Johnson. It's, I mean, one of the key things, and, and I think Senator Johnson gets this, he, he always has, and Paul Ryan was making this this point on the program a couple days ago. Um, I, I think everybody agrees that, that Obamacare cannot succeed. And, and this is, it, whatever, whatever Obamacare was two or three years or four years ago, right now it is failing. Insurers are pulling out of the market. In many states, there next year, there's not going to be options offered. In many places, including lots of counties in Wisconsin, there, there's one choice. So you don't have the choice of different networks, and the costs are going up. So something needs to be done, and I think Senator Johnson has always, always appreciated that. His idea is, you know, we'd like to do it all at once, but it's, I candidly, I think, I think it's good to hear him say, okay, at least it, what we'll do is if we can't do it all at once, we'll, we'll do the repeal. He would vote for that with the idea then that would put pressure on everybody to figure out what the replacement is going to be. But that's, I mean, that is a driving, a driving, driving, driving story. And it's good to hear that the Senate is still working towards that goal. It's 954. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 956. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Roger Waters brings his Us and Them tour to the BMO Harris Bradley Center next Saturday, the 29th. Today is your last chance to win a pair of tickets. Actually, right now is your last chance to win a pair of tickets. 414-799-1620. Caller number 20. Put on for the work. Caller number 20 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line wins a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters um, featuring the songs of Pink Floyd at the BMO Harris Bradley Center on Saturday the 29th. Thanks to the promoters for making that available so we could be doing those giveaways. Caller number 20, win a pair of tickets. If you didn't win tickets over the course of the last two weeks, um, Roger Waters, if, if you've ever been to a Pink Floyd show, I mean, you know just how tremendous that is, so check it out, get your chance to win And if you haven't been able to win tickets from us. Um, yesterday, we I, I did this topic that, again, whenever I do topics that are supportive of the president i hear from a ton of people oh i can't believe that you're supporting the president and when i do topics that are even modestly critical of the president i get that other thing i'll go work for msnbt and all that type of stuff so i i I mean i just try to tend to call it like i see it um i was explaining yesterday that one of the most loyal people 
one of the earliest supporters for President Trump was Jeff Sessions, who was a congressman from Alabama, who um, went on to become the attorney general. As the attorney general, uh, the Justice Department has carried a lot of water for the Trump administration over the course of the last, you know, six months or so with various pieces of litigation. For reasons that pass understanding, President Trump decides to sit down with the New York Times, of all people, and give an interview where he figuratively speaking, lifts his legs and pees all over Jeff Sessions, saying that, you know, he's very disappointed in Sessions, and if, if he knew Sessions was going to recuse himself in the Russia thing, Se- Sessions should have told him about it, and all these type of things, which I, may or may not be a legitimate beef. Right? I, I don't take an issue with that. Why you would air this public la- this dirty laundry publicly, though, is beyond me, and why you would choose, of all places, the New York Times, which is... Pretty much, you read their commentary that they are the sworn enemy of this president. Why you would go and, again, figuratively speaking, pee all over one of your most loyal, long-term supporters who currently you know, occupies a very important position in your cabinet is beyond me. And it led to a discussion about whether Donald Trump's like the worst boss ever. Um, Jeff Sessions... But I said, if this was me, I would have walked into the Oval Office later on that morning and said, Mr. President, here's my letter of resignation. If you have lost faith in me, please, you know, accept it. I mean, I, I serve at the pleasure of the president. And if you are upset with this and you wouldn't have put me in there in the first place um, and you want me gone, fine. Now, Jeff Sessions says that he, speaking of himself in the third person, you know, we intend to stay. Um, I don't know. I mean, under these circumstances, I think he'd be justified if he decided to leave. I mean, all sorts of things that he could do. And if you've lost the support of your boss or if your boss is going to be publicly dumping on you, um, my response would be fine. Just don't let I'm, I'm gone and I won't let the door hit me on the way out. I don't know if Sessions is going to do that. Jose from Oak Creek wins our pair of tickets to see Roger Waters coming up in just a couple minutes. He makes as much as Tom Barrett. But does that say whether he deserves it or whether Barrett might be overpaid? Stick around. We'll discuss. It's 1009. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I have never really cared about how much money other people make. My, my concern has always been, am I being treated fairly? But I understand that some people are obsessed with salaries and how much how much money people make. And everybody thinks, when, when it's somebody else, everybody thinks regardless of how much that person makes, they're making too much, almost always. You know, we there were, there were a series of stories a couple of years ago um, involving Don Smiley, you know, who, who runs, runs Summerfest. Very, very successful, and they put, I I forget what the dollar amount was, but he was eligible for some bonuses and stuff, and there was all this faux outrage. Look at how much money Don Smiley, well, okay, Don Smiley did did a great job. He's done a a great job with Summerfest. Summerfest is successful, and so the the people who, you know, run Summerfest and his bosses and the board and stuff say, okay, this this is how much we have to pay to get somebody who does a quality job, and, you know, if if the bosses are happy, you know, who, who cares how much somebody else makes? And it, it's one of these things where you, you put these dollar amounts out and people make these decisions. Well, there's a story um, in the online edition of the Journal Sentinel. Uh, Dan Bice has it. And it, it raises this interesting story. The headline, Tiny Town Big Bucks Official Earns $142,000 to Run the Tony Village of Bayside. 
right? The guy's name is, is all right. Well, here, here's how the story starts. Meet Andy Peterson, Peterson, P-E-D-E-R-S-O-N, who has one of the cushiest government jobs in the Milwaukee area. He is the village administrator for the tiny suburb of Bayside, a community not much larger than a subdivision. It's 2000 pop, 2010 population, 4,389. Peterson... Pedersen oversees seven village staffers, including the police chief and the North Shore Dispatch Center for the fire and police calls. On a typical day, Bayside's quiet and well-groomed village hall has many more parking spaces and cars. He is paid a base salary of $142,009 a year. In many years, he also gets a bonus and a car allowance. For example, altogether, including sick leave payout, he received $155,000 in taxable income in 2014. Okay, he apparently they hired him. Let me see. They hired him a number of years ago. He was hired in 2005 at eighty one thousand dollars a year. And in the last 12 years, his salary has increased 75 percent. And now they pay him one hundred and forty two thousand dollars a year, plus these these various incentives. Um, He makes more than Chris Avely who doesn't need a dime. He makes more than David Clark. He makes more than John Chisholm. You can argue about that. Um, Depending on bonuses, he receives a paycheck in line with that of Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett. All right. And and so the whole point of the story is, well, look, he's getting all this money. Well, you know, they, then they go out and they interview, you know, a lot of the Bayside aldermen, the people who make these decisions, and, and they say, well, you know, um, yeah, we, we pay him a lot of money, but, you know, he's been here for 12 years, and you know what? He's doing a really good job. We're, we're, we're happy with the way, you know, things are. You know, he manages the village competently. Um, we're very pleased with that. Um, people are happy. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yes, yes, we pay him this money, and the argument is, okay, if you want to say that you know Tom Barrett has a lot more responsibilities and manages a bigger city, well, maybe you can argue that Tom Barrett is underpaid. Uh, I don't know that too many people would argue that, but um, you know that that's the point. But I mean, the story is one hundred and forty-two grand, and he started at eighty-one. Yeah, he, he makes he makes a bunch of dough, and he probably makes more than most, if not all, administrators. But but the village of Bayside is apparently happy with the job that the guy is doing there's not a revolt among citizens saying hey this is mismanaged or whatever 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line i guess i'm i'm not outraged that that the salary that this guy is pulling down could you probably find somebody to do it cheaper yeah i mean a lot of the other similarly sized communities don't pay quite that much but the guy's been there 10 or 12 years he's doing a good job people seem to like him the powers that be are happy there's not controversy out there should we care should we care that the guy makes 142 grand for being the village administrator or the administrator of a of a small community in Milwaukee County, as long as the residents are happy about that. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know. Objectively speaking, I don't know if the guy's worth one hundred and forty grand a year or whatever they're paying him, but if the community is happy, I don't know that anybody else should be outraged. I'm not. We discuss next. 414-799-1620 is the number. And if yeah, if if that means that Tom Barrett has more responsibilities and people think that Tom Barrett's underpaid, well, 
he, he can make his case to the he can make his case regarding salary to you know whoever he makes his case for. Ten fifteen, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Ten seventeen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. What are the differences between starting a company here rather than Silicon Valley? Hmm. Matt Cordio talks with the heads of Cirrus One, a San Francisco company growing its footprint in Wisconsin. Check out their chat in the Tech Wisconsin podcast up now at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. All right. There, there's a story. It's JS Online. I assume it's going to be in the paper in the next day or so. Um, village manager in in Bayside um, makes makes one hundred and forty two grand. The, the guy, it's a Bayside small community in northern, northeastern part of Milwaukee County, supervises like 30-some people directly or indirectly, been there since 2005, started at 81 grand. He's gotten a n- number of raises, so now he's up to 142 grand. He's been there for the last 11 or 12 years. He apparently, by all standards, does a good job. People in the community like him. People think things are run well in Bayside. So the story implies, oh, this guy is overpaid. He makes as much as Barrett does. He makes more than Chris Abley. He makes more than John Chisholm. I guess, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not obsessed with how much other people make. If the community out there thinks he's doing a good job and likes him, what's the big deal? Uh, let's start with Mike and Franklin. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I was just going to kind of say, uh, and I told you, Serena, this. You know, I have no problem with it as long as you're, you're, you know, you can really balance your budget. But uh, I'm a school teacher, and the the district that I teach in, our superintendent pulls 174 thousand a year, and you know, I just don't think they're balancing our budgets fair because they're telling us, you know, we can't, you know, get afford to get raises over fifty thousand or something as a teacher yet. Anybody in our district office is pulling over 120. Right. So my problem is always really, I mean, if you can't balance your budget, nobody really should be making that kind of salary. But, again, if people are happy with his work and, yeah. you know, and he's worthy of that, I mean, more power to him. Um, well, a- absolutely. I guess that's kind of how I look at it. Now, thanks. For, okay, so text line. Mr. Way, this is laughable. You have no problems with administrators making money, but if a fast food worker wants a livable wage, ha, ha, ha. Well, okay, first of all, I think people should be paid upon what the value of the work is. And if, objectively speaking, a job, entry-level job at a fast food place is worth $10 an hour, yeah, then I don't think the government should come in and say you have to pay $15 an hour. On the other hand, if this guy has a skill set that justifies this type of money and is worth the type of money, and the community thinks through it, again, it's bored or whatever, thinks that he's worth the type of money, who are we to say no? It's this idea, it, it's this kind of, it drives me crazy, it's this this envy that's out there. Well, you know, you would deny somebody $15 an hour. Well, yeah, if the job they're doing isn't worth $15 an hour, yeah. Then, then no, I, yeah, I don't think the government should come in and say, hey, you have to get 15 bucks an hour. Obviously, this community believes that the guy is doing a good job and that what they are paying is what they need to pay to keep him and, you know, make him happy and keep him staying there, and they think it's fair. Well, and that's 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 the deal. Um, if what you do is worth it, then you deserve you deserve the dough. 414-799-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Yeah, I uh, agree uh, with you that, you know, if he wants to get paid that much, that's fine with the Bayside employee uh, right. population or whatever there. Uh, but making that kind of money, 
maybe base I can just uh, contribute some money to Milwaukee <laughs> and have a road repaired here. Yeah. So what your you, the, the, your butt was that you don't have a problem with them paying him. You just think that that's you just think that that's a lot of money for that job. <laughs> uh, actually, I do, but you know, whatever. If he can get it, that's hey, great for him. Yeah, I know. I, I exactly. I mean, thanks, thanks. So, well, that that that's that's kind of it. And I mean, he's been there. One of the things that happens with these city managers, and look, and I, I don't have a position one way or another on whether or not does the guy do a good job. Except it seems like, I mean, the village board keeps giving. I'm saying it's a village. Yeah, it's a village of Bayside. They, I mean, they keep giving him raises and stuff, and everybody seems to think that okay, Bayside is well run. You don't hear controversies. But again, the elected officials, who are the ones responsible for deciding what they are going to pay the city manager, village manager, they believe he's doing a good job, and they're they're compensating him accordingly. So, all right, what's what's the big deal about that? I mean, if I run a business and I decide that I, I, I'm i happy with this job that somebody's doing, and I want to pay them X amount of dollars, even though if somebody else might say, well, gee, that sounds like a lot of money. Well, okay, if the bosses decide that you are worth that, well, why why shouldn't you get the, the dough? Now, I acknowledge that that's a lot of money, but he's been there for 12 years, and you know they've given him raises. Bill in Oak Creek. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, my question is, where do you get this data that all the well, maybe I'm wrong with saying all, but the people of Bayside are pleased with the hundred and some thousand dollars? Well, because their elected officials keep giving him raises. I mean, they're they're the one. It's the village board that gives the guy the raises and does the performance review, and they are elected by the people. And, um, I mean, the last raise he got, I think, was unanimous. So, I mean, I, at least at least the people, through their elected officials, continue to believe he's doing a good job and they keep giving him more money. I'm, I'm a skeptic. So, I mean, in my head, they're sending out notices to say, hey, our mayor is doing such a great job. What do you think? We should give them a thirty thousand dollar raise? Well, no, they're not. They're not sending out notices. But I mean, I, think that, I mean that. But Bill, at the same time, that that's that, I, no, and I'm, I'm sure they're not going door to door saying, "Hey, we want to give our city manager more money." But they have regular meetings. This isn't. It, it's it's not like, for example, with all due respect to Dan Bice, it's not like he did any sort of heavy-duty under undercover reporting that the guy's salary is a matter of public record so you know for people who follow the village board and for watch the events you know you can track when the performance reviews come up and the salary is a matter of public record so no i mean i guess if you went door to door and knocked on people's doors in bayside and you said hey did you know how much the village manager was making a lot of people might say no i i didn't but at least as expressed through the elected officials, who are the ones that make the decision, they're, they're, they think that the guy deserves th- this money. And I guess I'm just saying this, this class envy that exists out there, uh, does 142 grand sound like a lot of money to me? Yeah, it, it does. It does. Do you think that you might be able to get somebody to do it for less? Yeah. But at the same time, again, it, who are we to judge? If the village of Bayside, through its elected officials, are happy with the job the guy is doing, and they want to keep him there, and he's been doing it for twelve years. All right, um, all right. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you could find somebody to do it for a hundred. I think they, it says in the story the village manager in Whitefish Bay, who is new, relatively new, you know, makes one hundred and five grand. O- okay, so maybe you could find somebody to do it for one hundred and five grand. The guy's been there for twelve years, which is twice the average tenure in these positions. I don't know if 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 it's cool with the people in Bayside. 
as expressed by their elected officials, it's it's cool with me. Just saying. 1025, this is Jeff Wagner. Twenty-seven, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Um, one judge is considering letting inmates out early from their jail sentences, but only if they agree to a vasectomy. I saw that story. Has the judge, and that's not in Wisconsin, by the way, has the judge overstepped his bounds, or is there some merit to the offer? Find out during Scafidi and Billstat, 2.07 this afternoon. They are broadcasting live from Festa Italiana, which is this weekend sponsored by Hometown Window and Doors. Okay, there was a um, one of the breaking news stories yesterday does involve, again, the Milwaukee business scene, um, Associated Bank and Bank Mutual, which are what the uh, the second and third largest Wisconsin, ba- the largest and third largest Wisconsin, Wisconsin-based banks. That's Wisconsin-based banks. Um, you know, they are, they're going to be merging. Associated Bank is buying Bank Mutual in a $482 million deal, and there's... Uh, you know, questions about what does this mean for the community. Um, the, the truth of the matter is, when it comes to banking, there are still lots and lots of choices that are out there. I don't know that I think this is going to dramatically affect the banking landscape because you've got a lot of different bank options that are there. You've got the big boys. You've got the local banks. What this does mean, and I think perhaps the most significance, is that it is going to mean branch closures and it's going to mean job losses because there is a lot of duplication. Um, if, if you drive around the community um, and you look at where Associated Bank are and you look at where Bank Mutual is, um, you, you've got lots of branches that are very, very close to each other. And the, the truth of the matter is, you know, you don't you don't need two of the same banks within a quarter mile of each other. So I, I think from the perspective of customer service, um, the fact there's still going to be Associated Bank's going to be a Wisconsin-based bank. Um, and by the way, I'm a big fan of Bank Mutual. I, I know lots of people who've worked at Bank Mutual over the years. I don't think this is going to change anything in general from the customer perspective. But what it is going to do from the employee perspective, particularly if you're an employee at Bank Mutual, I, I think inevitably what you're going to see is lots and lots of branch closures just because of the proximity of Bank Mutual, a lot of their locations to Associated Bank, that's going to be the most dramatic effect. But you're still going to have a Wisconsin-based bank, and to me, that is the crucial thing. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Our Week in Review coming up. Oh, about one hour from now. A lot of stuff to talk about on today's show. All right, on today's uh, Week in Review. There are a lot. It seems like you, you can't go a week without hearing at least one story about, you know, an airline involved, getting involved with customers or customers and people being tossed off. And, and I understand it is fashionable to beat up on airlines nowadays because Lord knows sometimes with the rules or rules thing, they, they deserve it. This is an interesting story I've been waiting to discuss with you. And the question is going to be, is it the airline behaving badly or is it maybe the airline having a point? Now, let me back into this story. I um, 
to the extent there was ever a cachet in, in traveling on airplanes, um, that, that, that's gone. I mean, nowadays, air travel is a hassle. You know, going through, and it's, it's not a complaint, it's just a reality. You know, um, flights in general are full nowadays. Um, getting to the flights is a hassle. You know, you've got to go through TSA. You've got to get there early. You've got to be checked. And it's it just, it's the way it is. You get on the planes, they, they're full. You know, hopefully, I guess, I, I just have, I have low expectations nowadays. I figure if, I, if the flight is on time, and I get there reasonably close to when I'm supposed to get there, and my bags get there, and I don't have, like, some screaming child. Sorry for those of you who travel with screaming children. I know it might not be your fault, but I, and I don't have some screaming child next to me for three and a half hours. I, I consider it to be a victory. One of the generally genuinely annoying things about air travel, and maybe you have had it happen to you, I've had it happen to me, is you're in the seat, and behind you, there is a child who kicks the back of your seat. Hunter, have you ever had that happen? Just kicks the back of your seat. And and what inevitably will happen is you'll kind of like turn around and you'll you'll look at the, the parents and they'll kind of like look the other way. And it's like, lady, you know, with your, your kid is banging their feet. And, and I understand that, you know, kids want to kind of stretch out and stuff and it's sort of fun. But it's like, all right, are you really going to kick the seat for a couple hours? So I admit that that is a nuisance. Anyhow, this is the story of people flying from um, Fort Lauderdale to New York. They are from Brooklyn. Here's the way the New York Post reports this. A furious Brooklyn couple says JetBlue booted them and their three kids off a flight after their one-year-old kicked the seat in front of her. The airline, though, says they were grounded for flying off the handle. Mandy Ifra, 35, tearfully told the New York Post on Wednesday how she and her husband and their young daughters were buckled up for takeoff June 21st in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, for their flight back to New York after attending a wedding. It was 8.30 p.m. The flight was 40 minutes delayed. My kids were cranky. My baby was sitting on my lap. The distraught mom recalled at her home. Um, She's about to have a bottle, and she was kicking the seat of the lady in front of us. The lady huffed and puffed. She got up and said, you should hold your baby's feet. I said, she's a baby. What would you like me to do? I'm sorry. I'm trying to do my best to control the situation right now. The woman, whose seat was being kicked, then moved to an empty adjacent seat, and the mom says, well, I thought it was all resolved. You know, she's moved to the seat. Fine. At that point in time, though, apparently the pilot returns to the gate, goes back. A JetBlue supervisor comes on onto the plane and says, um... Here, you know, you, you need to get off the plane. We need to talk about this. And she says, well, what, you know, what, what's what's going on? You know, and he said, you know, you need to talk about this. We've got to get off the plane. We need to discuss this. And apparently the lady, uh, they, they, they start screaming at the supervisor. Um, the airport door was reopened, um, and they ask her off. All right, now, so she's now going public. Oh, this is terrible. We were kicked off the plane because my, my child kicked the back of this seat. Now, the JetBlue story is, is different. The JetBlue story, kind of reading between the lines, is that it was more than just, hey, you're kicking my seat. Um, I, there's nothing I can do. The JetBlue story is that there was an altercation between the woman who was, her seat was being kicked 
and this other lady, um, where obscenities and stuff, they were apparently screaming at each other. That's what JetBlue says that, that, that happened. The, the, the two passengers, they were like yelling at each other. It wasn't just this, oh, excuse me, ma'am, your child is kicking the back of my seat here. I'll move to a different one. But it was a heated exchange. So the flight attendants, yeah, they, they say, the pilot says, okay, let's go back. The JetBlue supervisors come on, and they say, hey, um, you, know, you need to go off the plane. we want we got to talk about this as to what happened. JetBlue says the aircraft door was reopened. Our airport team politely asked the customers to step off to discuss the situation. The customers refused repeated requests, and then our crew members deplaned the entire aircraft. Law enforcement escorted the family out of the gate area, and we provided a, a refund. And so now their lawyer is saying, the lawyer for family, well, they weren't really belligerent. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, did JetBlue overreact? I mean, I, I have a pretty good sense of probably what happened here. You have an argument. The woman's got the kid. The kid is kicking the back of the seat. The lady in front says something. My guess is mom says something back. There is an exchange of whatever. So they go back to the gate. The supervisor comes on and says, hey, we want to get you off the plane to discuss this. The family then refuses to leave the plane, and so it kind of escalates. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that the way this story is getting presented is, again, that this evil airline that's tossing people off, my guess is there is a lot more to this story. And candidly, I, I I'm not sure that it's fair to fault JetBlue for this type of situation. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, my, my basic experience with these sort of things is, given the fact that everybody who's flying is on their last nerve, that you know, copying an attitude and refusing to cooperate with airline officials especially you know in circumstances where they're just trying to conduct an investigation that typically might not work out well for you all right does this lady sound like that she was aggrieved by jet blue or maybe might have a little cooperation here gone a long way what do you think 414-799-1620 is the number it's 1042 we discuss next if you're on the line please hold on 1045 jeff wagner 620 wtmj okay this is not my first rodeo i, I have a sense of what happened here You've got the, the woman and her husband and the three kids crammed in a couple airline seats. You've got the small child that's kicking the back of the seat before the flight takes off. You've got the lady in front who doesn't look forward to the idea that her seat is getting kicked and presumably is afraid that that's going to be happening for the next three-plus hours. So she turns around and says something. The lady with the child doesn't like what was said, and it then kind of escalates from there. Now, the way the lady with the child is portraying this is, well, we just had a discussion. She gave me a dirty look, and I said, well, what do you want me to do? And then she moved, and it was all over. Well, my guess is they were exchanging words. That's what I guess happened. Um, flight attendants... I think probably concerned that you've now had this altercation between adults before the flight leaves the ground, and they're just not looking forward. They want to get something settled before you take off and you're up in the air. So they go back to the gate. The pilot makes a decision to go back to the gate. The supervisors come on. They ask the people to step off so they can talk to them. And then the woman and man, the husband and wife of the kids, they, they cop an attitude and start being disagreeable with the flight attendants. So next thing you know, they're 86 from the plane. All right, well, maybe maybe you should have thought of that before you copped an attitude. That's what I ended up thinking happening happened. And, and candidly, 
I mean, JetBlue's getting some heat. I'm not sure it's all that well-deserved. Joan in Whitefish Bay. Joan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, last fall, there were a lot of yard signs I saw. Kids first. I'm driving along with them. What in the world does that mean? That's what's wrong with the society today, in my opinion. It is always kids first. So I don't blame the airline. They probably had exactly what you're talking about, Jeff, some other uh, part of the story that's not getting publicized. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can picture you. You've got you've got these two passengers. The lady who doesn't like being kicked. I'm sure she said something to the woman. The woman said something back, and you've got these two passengers kind of yelling at each other before the plane is in the air. And the flight attendants are like, "I, I don't want to be up in the air having to deal with this. Let's get this resolved before we take off." I, I think I'm pretty sure that's probably what happened. Could be. And you know, I've been kicked by adults as well. <laughs> well <coughs> yeah. And you know, I've let it go to the point where I was going to say something when they stopped. So it's okay. Yeah, but, well, you know, life is like that. We have to give and take and it's ridiculous. It's just totally ridiculous that children are now the prime person in the picture. Well, I mean and again thanks for, see and I Joan and I am sympathetic. All right. The the lady and her husband, you got three kids I don't know the age of the other two, but I guess they're all young. I, I'm sure that that is a challenge. Um, I, I and I don't know, but my guess is there's it's three across, so you've got five kids, five people in those three seat area. That's my guess as to what happened. You know, you've got the cranky baby. I understand it. It's probably a challenge, and maybe the lady sitting in front of the lady just should have ignored the fact that her thing was being kicked. She didn't, but I, I just. I, you know, in this case, what's a flight attendant to do if my scenario is correct, and I think it probably is, that you have these passengers that are already arguing with each other before they're off the ground? Um, the airlines are, look, we just don't want a problem. Let's get a supervisor on. Let's talk about this. And then, of course, you get the family that cops the attitude with the supervisors. Well, all right, then you're just kind of off to the races. Uh, Greg and Appleton texts, on a trip to Hawaii, the experience with misbehaving kids, parents who were in row 17, well inebriated, kids in row 16, wife and I in row 15 getting kicked. Man next to us commented to kids frequently, requesting the kids to stop. Parents do nothing. Man talks to parents. Told parents they should sit in the row in front of the kids so the parents get kicked and not the other passengers. Parents say, if you don't want to deal with kids, buy a first-class ticket. Miserable six-hour flight to start the vacation. Um, we did not notify flight attendants, but should have. Yeah, that's that's kind of it. Buy first-class ticket. Why, why should we expect it to be expected to control our children? Um, go figure. It's 1050. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten fifty two, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. If you had one game to win, would you pick Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers? Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee, and Journal Sentinel beat writer Rob Reichel know both men well. They debate the topic and give a full training camp preview in the latest edition of Wayne's The Play-By-Play podcast, up now at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. That's an interesting thing. All right, Hondo, if you had one game to win, you're a football fan, Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers. One game. You go with Rodgers. I go with Rodgers, too. I, I love Brett Favre, but I... I I just watched him throw too many of those crazy interceptions and stuff. I, I go with, I think Rodgers is a much more disciplined quarterback um, and incredibly talented as well. But 
Um, I do not know what Wayne and his guests, I don't know how they would say this. So, um, yeah, so we'll work that out. Okay. Uh, it's been an interesting story percolating this week. Um, there are a number of communities, portions of the city of Milwaukee, that are overrun with prostitution. And there's a a frustration that the residents have and that the the aldermen, particularly Bob Donovan and Jose Perez, have with the fact that they they haven't been able to get a grip on on the whole prostitution issue. Um, And and as a result, you know, what they're announcing is that they're they're going to create their own sort of like anti-prostitution campaign. They call it Operation Dear John. It's part of an effort designed to address the ongoing out-of-control prostitution problem in the neighborhood. Um, they're going to be apparently sending out letters to the the Johns, the people who are out there soliciting prostitutes who are identified pulling up on these streets, engaging prostitutes. We will be sending letters to their homes indicating that this is a neighborhood known for prostitutions and drugs, and if you're out here, we'd like you to be aware of that. A private security company has been hired to gather the information as well as to report what they see going on in and around the neighborhood. The $6,000 program is being funded by neighborhood schools and businesses as well as this Operation Impact. So the idea is what they're trying to do is they're, they're trying to deter um, the the potential customers from coming into the area. And the idea is that if you can, again, get customers to not come into the area, what will happen is maybe the prostitutes will stop frequenting the area. When this story came out a day ago, I got a real interesting text from somebody, uh, actually an email from someone who suggested, you know, why is this a big deal? You know, why are they concerned about prostitution? You know, we're, we live in an era where people talk about legalizing marijuana. If people, you know, want to patronize prostitutes and women want to engage in this business, um, who, who are we to say? And on, on a superficial level, I, I understand that argument. It's like, all right, well, all right, is, is, is this a victimless crime? But the problem is, and this is why I, I wholeheartedly support what these aldermen are doing. And, and candidly, you, you'd like to see an even more aggressive response by Ed Flynn's Milwaukee Police Department because prostitution is not a victimless crime. First of all, let's not even get into you know, the, what it does to the people who are engaged in, in the trade. Let's not even get into you know, the, the, the impact that this has on whether it's the women that are turned out on the street by the pimps or, you know, the women who are doing this to try to support their drug habit or whatever. Let's not even talk about that. Clearly, you know, that's that's a huge issue in and of itself, the fact that women are being exploited in this particular fashion. But but it is also the overall effect on neighborhoods. Story in the Journal Sentinel talks about how 16-year-old girl says she was walking in her Southside Milwaukee neighborhood with her brother and boyfriend when a man suddenly stopped the car. Guy pulls over and says, uh, excuse me, guys, can I have her for like an hour? Okay, so th- this is the thing. When your neighborhood, just like when a drug house moves into your neighborhood, that kills the value. When a neighborhood is identified as a high prostitution area, what's going to happen is the, the entire women can't walk on the streets. You don't businesses don't want to open up in that area. 
Um, and as a general rule, property values decrease, and it's just not an environment where honest citizens want to live. That's why, I mean, again, e- even putting aside the effect that prostitution has on the people who choose to engage in that that trade, if you want to even call it that, it's not a victimless crime. There's all sorts of victims. There's the family members of the people who are soliciting the prostitutes. There are the prostitutes. They are victims in certain respects. And then there's the community in general where you see the quality of life just sort of spiral out of control. Um, It is unfortunate that there are areas in the city of Milwaukee that have been allowed to become overrun with this type of activity. And, and obviously, I think it is appropriate for law enforcement to go out there and start arresting the arresting the prostitutes and getting them off the street and arresting the pimps and getting them off the street. But you know what? I think Perez and Donovan are on to something. If the word gets out, hey, if you're if you're down there soliciting prostitutes and you get caught, um, you know, we're, we're going to identify you. You know, we're going to see the license plates and we're going to start sending letters to your home. I've, I've always told the story. I have a few friends who work the vice, vice detail in Las Vegas. And, you know, they, they say, depending on the week, about a third of their work when it comes to, you know, prostitution is what they call trick rolls, which is where the prostitutes are solicited by a guy. They go up to the hotel room. They do whatever they do. And then um, the prostitutes say, well, I, I want $2,000. The guy says, no, we agreed, whatever. They say, well, here's what I'm going to do. If, if you don't give me this money, I'm going to call the police. and I'm going to tell them you sexually assaulted me. And the guy will say, well, but nobody's going to believe that. You're a prostitute. But they say, okay, well, but there's going to be a police report. And, Mr. Businessman from Omaha, when you go back to your wife and three kids, um, you know, you, you just explain why your name is all part of a police report. Your story is you soli- – my story is you assaulted me. Your story is you were hiring a prostitute. Okay, you know, go ahead. You know, go do that. And a lot of guys just pay. So, I mean, putting pressure on the people who are procuring the prostitutes – I think that that's the way to go, and I think Donovan Perez are on to something. Stick around. A lot of great stuff coming up. Foxconn fever, should we catch it? It's 1059. It's 1107. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So what's the over-under and how long Jeff Sessions now lasts? The the interesting thing with the Trump administration, and as, as I've been saying earlier, this is whenever I talk about President Trump, yeah, there there are certain groups of people for whom he can do no wrong, and if I say anything that's critical, I get the go to MSNBC. That's where you belong. And then there's other people for whom he can do absolutely nothing right. Oh, you're just a stooge for the Trump administration, all that type of stuff. Now I try to take a nuanced view of this, as I was saying yesterday with regard to the whole thing involving Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General of the United States. And you know, we talked about this. Um, President Trump is apparently unhappy that Sessions recused himself, stepped down, and that led to the in the Russian investigation, and so that led to the appointment of the special counsel or special prosecutor, or special counsel, I guess, is a technical term. Now, I understand why President Trump might be a little bit upset about that, but for reasons that pass understanding, he chose to do an interview with the New York Times. Number one, that I mean, I. I check out the New York Times on a daily basis, and I will tell you, I, I think 98% of the stuff that appears in the New York Times, either columnists or opinions, are hostile to Trump one way or the other. So why you would go to the quote-unquote enemy and give an interview where you, figuratively speaking, lift your leg and pee all over one of your most loyal, earliest supporters, 
um, is just absolutely beyond me. Now, I can understand if you were upset with Jeff Sessions and you wanted to discuss this or whatever, but why you would air your dirty laundry in public, number one, and number two, why you would choose the New York Times as the place to do it, just uh, the topic I did yesterday was, is Donald Trump the worst boss ever? <laughs> and, and, and you hear one story about this after another, people who are loyal to him, but then when he gets a bug up a certain part of his anatomy. He decides to uh, just kind of move on and, and cut ties. It's I, I've always believed loyalty needs to be a two-way street. And if somebody is, is loyal to you, you should be loyal to them in return. That does not appear to be the way Trump works. It's kind of and, – and, and maybe that's one of the things – maybe being ruthless is one of the things that's made him – you know, great business person, but, you know, he demands loyalty, but then, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily work. Well, here's the story. Um, Anthony Scaramucci, uh, he's a, a Wall Street financier. During the break, somebody would – do you ever – Hunter, do you ever watch House of Cards, the Netflix series? Okay, it's, it, it's on Netflix, and it stars Kevin Spacey. It's based on a, a series that ran in, in Great Britain. And now it's in season five, and it's political intrigue and things like that. It's it's like take the stuff that goes on to Washington and then put it on steroids. Um, this Anthony Scaramucci, who Wall Street financier, he looks like he is a character in House of Cards. I mean, he looks like one of these political fixers that you would see in there. He, um, and you, 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 if you see him, you will recognize him. He's on TV all the time. Um, he's, he's one of the people that, that the, the Trump administration or the Trump campaign trots out on TV a lot to defend him. He's one of these aggressive kind of New York guys who, you know, take no prisoners and that sort of stuff. Um, he was up for a couple other roles in the administration, and that didn't work out. So apparently what happened is because um, he's a friend of President Trump's, and President Trump thinks he is really good at making the case for him, particularly on TV, um, he offered this guy the, the job of communications director for, for the White House. All right? Um, Sean Spicer, who is the White House press secretary, Apparently um, was very, very opposed to this and, you know, told the president, I think this would be a disastrous uh, appointment. Um, the way the New York Times is reporting it, that he vehemently disagreed with the appointment of this guy as the communications director. And off the top of my head, I'm not sure what the chain of authority is. I'm not sure where the press secretary falls in if, if the Hondo says you think it would be under. I, I don't know. It, it, they could be separate, I, but I don't. But regardless, um, you know, Sean Spicer, who is the White House press secretary, and if you want to talk about a singularly thankless job, the White House press secretary. I mean, for everybody that complains about, like, for example, Chief of Staff Reince Priebus, oh, Priebus isn't doing this, Priebus isn't doing that. Can you imagine any of those people in these jobs? And again, regardless of whether you think the president's doing a great job or a lousy job, there is a certain erratic nature of this White House, that the idea that you wake up one Sunday morning and you're expecting, hey, I'm going to have breakfast and go to church or play some golf or whatever, and suddenly you're swamped with uh, reporter requests and TV requests because the president is shot off an email at 4.30 in the morning, oh, accusing the former president, say, of wiretapping. I mean, it's just, it's a, a thankless job. You also, from the perspective of the White House press secretary, you have, you know, situations where, 
I don't know, you have the, these stories, and you can argue, as I frequently do, that the whole Russia, Russia, Russia thing is overcovered. But then, you know, you have these stories where you go out and you say one thing only to learn that you haven't been told the full details and, you know, that uh, stuff you said in good faith one day turns out to be maybe not true because there's stuff that you weren't told. I mean, B- Sean Spicer is in a very, very thankless job. But in any event, so they've apparently brought in this New York financier friend of Mr. Trump's, President Trump's, as the communications director. And Sean Spicer, the press secretary, said, I I just, this is a really, really bad idea. And President Trump apparently said, well, that's fine. I appreciate your perspective, but I've offered him the job. And then Spicer said, "Um, okay, this is a a major mistake. And the president said, well, okay, that's fine. I thank you. Um, you know, you're, you're welcome to stay. I'd like you to stay. And Spicer said, nope, nope, time time for me to go. Because um, occasionally, occasionally that's that's what you do. I, I think Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, at some point in time, I'm actually surprised he hasn't done this already. Because I have to tell you, if I was the attorney general and my boss had publicly taken me to the woodshed in the pages of all places, the New York Times, after I'd been carrying water for him, perhaps arguably the damage to my reputation for the last six months, and then I read in the New York Times that he would have never hired me in the first place if he knew this, and, and that's fine. You serve at the pleasure of the president, um, but... I think if I were the attorney general, that's when I would have walked in yesterday with my letter of resignation and said, thanks, it's been fun. I think you need to get somebody that you're not going to go blast in the pages of the New York Times. So, um, candidly, I I don't know how this all plays out. I mean, it's going to be a couple-day story, especially with people looking into the background of the new communications director. But Sean Spicer uh, had a tough, tough job. He was ripped by the media a lot, but candidly... I, I don't know that there's anybody out there that could have jo- done the job better than him. And actually, you know, when you give, sometimes this is what happens. When you give your boss, if it's something that you feel strongly about, you give your boss the best advice possible. Hiring this guy would be a disaster. And your boss then just, I don't know if ignores it, but goes in an opposite direction and makes the hire. Sometimes. That's what you do. You just say, okay, fine, moving on. Sean Spicer, the White House press secretary, resigned this morning. So the major st- mainstream media will not have him to kick around anymore. It's 1115, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1119, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We will continue to, of course, follow all day the story of Sean Spicer, the press secretary, the embattled press secretary, um, Rumor has had it for a while that he was on his way out. Interestingly, the way the story is this morning, um, he's the one that resigned. He um, objected to hiring of this new communications director, and the president, I, I don't want to say ignored his concerns, but at least didn't listen to his concerns, and so he's uh, he tendered his resignation. Uh, you, know, you know what's going to be the story all weekend, and Sean Spicer, who was in some cases loathed by the mainstream media over the course of the last few months and mocked mercilessly. He was the guy that, um, it was Rosie O'Donnell that did the Sean Spicer thing on Saturday Night Live, right? She dressed up, was it Rosie Rosie O'Donnell that dressed up like him um, uh, and and mocked him? But, um, you know, that's... He's now going to be, now that he's on the way out, he's going to probably be beloved. But we'll be continue, we'll continue to follow that story um, all during the course of the day. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, there was a story the other day out of Bayshore. 
um, there's a there's a Chubby's cheesecake, cheesesteak. You ever eaten at Chubby's, um, Hondo? You have not. Okay, it's it's not bad. Chubby's cheesesteak. Um, and there's a the the Chubby's cheesesteak. It's on it's on Silver Spring. Just to the south of Bayshore Town Center, period. The story is a delivery driver, this was last Thursday, week from yesterday, a delivery driver for Chubby's Cheesesteaks, Bayshore, in Glendale, was injured in an attempted robbery carjacking. The driver suffered injuries that were not life threatening while fending off two attackers shortly before midnight at the restaurants. Uh, the attackers fled in a silver vehicle that was determined to be. Wait for it. Stolen in Milwaukee. The stolen vehicle was later located by Milwaukee police, and one person was taken into custody. But they try to rob the delivery driver. This is a, a, a technique that is becoming more and more commonplace. You know, trying to rob the delivery drivers, trying to carjack the delivery drivers, either as they're leaving the, the places where they're, they're located, where their stores are, or more likely around the places. You know, somebody will order a pizza or order a cheesesteak or order a submarine sandwich or whatever, and then, you know, the bad guys will lay in wait for the car when it pulls up. And even though the delivery drivers don't carry very much money, the idea will be, well, we can at least take the car. All right. These stories are becoming more and more regular. And I guess one of the things that really comes from them is I think we're unfortunately, we are around here getting to a point where the at-home delivery, particularly beyond business hours, that they we're going to deliver stuff at 10 o'clock at night or we're going to deliver stuff at midnight, those, those practices – I think are pretty much going to be coming to an end. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. I think what you're going to see happen is I think delivery drivers, I think the way we deliver food, particularly in some of our urban areas, I think it's going to change dramatically. I think the days of delivery drivers getting out of their vehicles and coming to doors are pretty much going to be over. I think I'm, I'm willing to predict that for a lot of communities, what's going to happen in the next few years is it's going to be you order food, you give us a number to call. When we get there, we're parking in your driveway or we're parking in front of your house and somebody can come out and meet us. I think the days of the delivery driver getting out of the car and walking up to doors, I, I think that's going to be long gone. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. I, I just think this is inevitably where this is going. Delivery drivers, I'm not saying they're going to end home deliveries of food, but particularly in the evening, I think what's going to happen is you're going to have to come out to the cars because it's just flat out in a lot of areas unsafe, unsafe to expect the driver to get out of the car. Is that the wave of the future? I think so. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1123. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1126. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Once again, so very glad to have you with us. Yeah, our, uh, I, I'm just... I've been monitoring like a number of the different cable news networks and uh, stuff on the internet, and this whole Sean Spicer resignation thing. This is um, people; it's it's hair on fire. It's like Enfuego and the um, 
I guess the basic premise is this is the start of Trump cleaning house. Um, another story out there, um, you know, Steve Bannon, who is the uh, he's, he's the guy who is characterized as being one of the with the ties to Breitbart, who's characterized as being one of the architects of Trump's take no prisoners style and strategy. Um, he's they're saying that he's pretty much been like kicked to the curb and that he's no longer part of the the inner circle and he's kind of made the decisions to just kind of um take a back seat and kind of lay low in the hope of trying to um you know save his job he was absent from trump's recent trips to europe for the g20 summit um he missed the visit with the french president um he's just um you know not attending a number of these events um but that's I think at least the speculation is going to be that Sean Spicer is just the first of what will be many dominoes to fall. Who knows whether that's going to happen? All right, 414-799-1620. I think you're seeing more and more of these stories about these delivery drivers who are being assaulted and attacked. I think one of the things that's going to happen is that the days of delivery drivers getting out of their cars and going up to doors, that's, that's going to be over. Alex in Oconomowoc. Alex, you're first. Good morning. I feel like if they're going to carjack them, they're going to get out of the car or not. Well, except if you're out of the car, you're a lot more vulnerable than you are if if you're in the car. I mean, if you're in the car, you're you're protected. You can always hit the gas. You can take off. If you're out of the car, you you got nothing. I mean, it's you know you're going up. If you look at a lot of the robberies, it's the delivery drivers as they're heading up to the door to deliver the pizza or the sandwich or whatever. You're, you're right. I mean, obviously, you can try to pull people out of their cars, and some carjackers do, but. Don't you think it gives the drivers at least a little added level of security? I mean, if you drop the pizza off, roll down your window, and Mm -hmm. they put a gun to you, are you going to hit the gas, or are you going to get out of your car? Well, I think you're probably, under those circumstances, I mean, I I think you're going to get out of the car. But that, I mean, thanks for the call, but... And I'm not saying that this is perfect. I'm not saying it's a solution that, you know, stops all crime. We don't have those magic bullets. But I do think if you think about it and you think about a lot of the the crimes where you have – it's where the people are are physically attacked or they're threatened. You're much more vulnerable. I mean, look, you had a 75-year-old woman who was the victim of the the strong-arm robbery and the car theft at the – Piggly Wiggly in West Bend on Tuesday morning. All right, the, the guy didn't wait till she got in the car. She's walking to the car. She's got her purse. She's got her keys in her hand or whatever. That's when a lot of the robberies end up taking place. Now, I, no, I agree with you. Yeah, yes, you know, somebody can come up and put a gun to your head and, and make you get out. But at the same time, if you're also, if you're in the car, you know, and you see somebody that looks suspicious or you see somebody that you think it's hinky or they see something you think's a gun, you, you know, you, you can take off before as long, but you can take off. You can hit the gas. You can drive away. When you're out of the car, you are completely exposed and completely unprotected. Like I say, I just think this is going to be the wave of the future. Okay, we've got the weekend review coming up in just a couple moments. Lots of breaking news this morning. It's 
1135. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is our Week in Review. Joined, as always, I am the thorn between the roses, Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Hello. Good morning. Hello. And Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Hello. Good morning. Okay. Um, but before we get into our regularly scheduled topics, Sean Spicer resigning as the White House press secretary just a couple minutes ago. The story is he, he that, that President Trump was going to appoint this Anthony Scarmucci very controversial New York financier as the communications director. Spicer said, if you do that, I'm gone. And now he's gone. Thoughts, Susie? Uh, you know, I thought he was not a very good spokesperson. I think he was easily uh, flustered. I you know, think Saturday Night Live had a great time with it. I, I honestly don't think he did Donald Trump any favors of the administration. I think Sarah's doing a great job. Sarah, Sarah, who, st- who stepped in and I think has proven her mettle. So I, I think Sean should leave, and I'm glad that he's gone. Whoever's in that spot is just Thank got a job. target <laughs> on their back. Right. And, uh, you know, I think he, Sean Spicer did the job that he was set out to do. He kind and he was really good at the distracting because he had a lot of distracting characteristics. He said some things that probably weren't the best way to position things as a spokesperson. But um, in the end, I think whoever's in that position, you, you can't win. Um, and, and this Under is, the best of circumstances, right. you can't win. And, and President Trump is not necessarily the best of circumstances. <laughs> no, well, no, seriously. Well, well, no, it is, it is when yeah. you... You know, you wake up, it's Sunday morning, You and all of a sudden you found out that the boss, without telling anybody, has tweeted out something saying he was wiretapped by the former president. What do you do? You it's know? true. He had a very hard job. Well, and I don't suspect he was necessarily on the inside. He just had to yeah. kind of react to a lot of right. this stuff. And I, I that's a, you okay. are. Is this the start of a cleaning house, though? That I think oh. that's what the speculation. Is this going to be the first domino to fall? Yeah. You say yes. And he's easy. I mean, he was an easy one to, right. to, to get rid of. But I think, you, I mean, with with... All these other things going on. I think you're going to see him. You're going to see Steve Bannon. I wouldn't be surprised if one of his family members was mm. maybe kind of part of that shuffle. But I, I think Ryan's previous. I don't. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I. I. I we, there might be possible. some surprises. There might be some surprises, but there are with this administration. Hmm. Anything is possible. I think. Uh, I think this is the first in a series of dominoes to fall. I, I think. I think you're going to see a. I mean, let, let, let's face it, regardless of how you feel about President Trump and the stuff, it's been a, from a PR perspective, I don't know if anybody could have done it better, but I, I think this is the start of a, of a house cleaning. You but know? now we get headlines for weeks and weeks, and we don't have to focus on the real issues. Uh, well, which I know, I, I talked to Paul Ryan earlier this week, and that was one of the frustrations he had. He said, there was a story we were talking about in Politico or something about how this is the most do-nothing, this headline, most do-nothing Congress in 164 years. And Ryan is saying, no, wait a second, you know, mm-hmm. we, you know we, we've... We, we've uh, we've taken up VA reform already. You know, we passed the, the National Defense Act, where it raises to um, raises to you know military people, and we've repealed Dodd Frank. He said, we, you know, we're doing all this stuff. Nobody hears about it because. Uh, again, it's Russia, 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 and that's all anybody talks well, about. Well, you, you know, now that Spicer has gone to, they do ha- have a fresh start here, I think, to kind of change the relationship between reporters who cover the White House and the White House. And if whether it's Sarah or someone, someone else, I would say, look it, we are doing all these incredible things, and we do want to talk to you about them. We are going to make our, ourselves accessible to you. You can ask me really hard questions, but I also want to talk about some things that are going on that you should be reporting on. Okay. Um Let's go to what we were talking about. Where are some of our prearranged topics? Um, carjackings, crime spreading to the suburbs. Story this week: a guy who should never have probably been out of prison in the first place, carjack or 
theft by force. I mean, steals a woman's keys, 75-year-old woman in the parking lot of the Piggly Wiggly out in West Bend. Um, he was just arrested yesterday in Milwaukee. One day, it seems to me on a daily basis, you've got stories of carjackings, not just in the city, but spreading to the suburbs. Can we make the streets safer? Do we need to, Tracy? Well, I, I think we talk a lot about socioeconomic issues, poverty, education. I, I, crime is where it, where it starts. I mean, th- this criminal who was put in jail shouldn't have been let out. He probably wasn't put in jail for the first offense. It probably started small. And yeah, we don't know what his juvenile record is because they won't make, don't make that public. But, but yes, but it's so easy these days to to carjack something. I mean, and it can be just as much as saying, you know, get out of your car and somebody will, will, will get out of their car and then, then they'll be on a high-speed chase. They'll run a red light. They'll cause an accident. Somebody will die. It'll cause a police chase. And then, and then there's chaos. So, yeah, it, it needs to start with crime. It, uh, Representative Branch, and I believe, last year had brought forth legislation to um, cut state funding for Milwaukee if they couldn't figure out how to solve for this crime problem. And I think uh, the uh, Fire and Police Commission's action last week was a start when they were talking about uh, changing their Mm no-chase policy. So I think it starts with crime. Um, You need to start with that Rudy Giuliani, the the broken windows Mm -hmm. philosophy, start small. Okay. Well, you, you, let me, and, let me follow up. You, you, and by the way, I, I forgot to mention, we are brought live streaming on Facebook Live, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can see the thorn and also the two roses. <laughs> We're right there. Okay. All right. So, right. The Fire and Police Commission makes that change. They say, Ed Flynn, this chase policy, this no chase policy sure. you have doesn't work. We need you to change. Ed Flynn um, apparently is going to refuse to make that mm. change. He's hiring an attorney okay. in case they decide to actually take a job action. I mean... You agree with me that that chase policy yes. needs to be changed. It does. Well, the numbers pr- prove it out. I mean, I think the decision to uh, to change the policy in the first place was based on emotion. We want to be, you know, softer on these people. We don't need to chase them, you know, unless there's a gun involved. But I think the the numbers bear out that you need to stop this problem. And I think that the surrounding communities and the suburbs is where this this is all being let out at, and it's causing the spread of this violence. Mm-hmm. So they need to contain it. They need to stop it where the problem's at. And we were talking about the problem you know i think we also need to need to be talking about the cause of the problem and i think you know there are kind of two camps out that one will say we need to increase punishment we need to send them away to lincoln hills for you know five years whatever first offense lincoln hills is a disaster that place scares me you know until that 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 shapes up i i don't know that that's necessarily a good answer um but I think that, you know, the other camp is looking at, okay, how do you prevent that from happening to begin with? And you look at those community-based organizations that are giving youth an option to going out and, you know, blowing their time stealing cars and stealing money. Running Rebels is a fabulous organization that works with the city. And they're so trying, throw more money at that? I, I'm saying, you know, whether it's support them, mm-hmm. you know, offer, you know, encourage foundations to offer grants. And I love the Bucks Foundation. I believe yep. they just gave Running Rebels $100,000, way to go Bucks. But you got to give some, the kids some alternatives. And you ha- and you also have to, let's talk about summer job jobs. And we talked about driver's licenses, making, you know, MPS kids a little bit, having it easier for them to go get their driver's license, get jobs. You have to give them but some I, courage, I guess, some I hope. Just, but I just don't see it as an either or. I mean, I you know, I think it's do, both. Oh, right. I, I'm I mean, sorry, right, it is right. both. Yeah, Start do, with I mean, do, right? Do, well, I mean, or, or if you want to do the social programs, I don't have a problem with it. But I guess I come to the stage that after you've, after you've stuck a gun in somebody's face, even if you're 15 years old and taken their car, there, there needs to be some accountability. Okay, um, when we come back, we're going to talk about Foxconn fever. Stick around. It's 11:43. This is Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. It's the week in review. 
1146, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's the Week in Review. Topic number two. All right, Foxconn, a company based in China, um, looking to come to the United States, bringing potentially 10,000 jobs themselves. What they do is they make the little flat panels that go into smartphones and things like that. Um, they're negotiating with a number of states. Wisconsin might be on the fast track, but Foxconn has a reputation of demanding lots and lots in tax breaks. Some people say it might be, I don't know, as, as much ultimately over a 20-year period as, as $2 billion. Tracy, do we need to do whatever we have to do to get Foxconn here? I, I think the WEDC and other economic development forces lawmakers, yes. I think it, it's not just about the the short term, the construction jobs, the the you know the facility. This is a manufacturing plant. It's not a warehousing plant that's going to be a million square feet where there are you know the jobs per square foot are you know less than what would be at Foxconn. We're talking about ten thousand jobs they're talking about a seven billion dollar project and i think they can do they should do whatever it takes and you know you mentioned the fast track and just uh recently they've been talking about the incentive packages and wisconsin is at an interesting position where they're able to offer some factors in the budget deal Mm -hmm. that might give them uh you know a shorter time horizon to make this happen i mean michigan is sitting there talking about oh we got to vote on it where are we going to get the money Wisconsin might actually have the money now uh, to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think we should pull out all the stops and bring them here, you know, ma- kind of no matter what it takes. You know, if you look at the economy and, you know, we're, we're doing okay, but, you know, Harley-Davidson is not having a good year. People nope. aren't buying motorcycles, you know, so where are the jobs? And, you know, 10,000 jobs in the region is incredibly, incredibly significant, and it would change the economic ecosystem. I mean, it's not just that company, but it's going to change the technical colleges and the programming mm-hmm. they offer there. You're going to have people from Chicago looking at where you know, Fitlands and Kenosha are. We're seeing, you know, f- buying homes, commuting, now, now Fox spending Con, money. I, I mean, I, I hate to rain on people's parades. Foxconn has a history of low pay. Um, the, we're not, as a general rule, we're not talking about high school, uh, high skilled technical mm-hmm. jobs. Um, you know, they have a history of low pay in China and in India. One of the reasons a lot of speculation is they want to start a plant in the United States is because of President Trump and the, the whole the, the trade war stuff. Sure. So they want a presence here. Um, should we be insisting on minimum salaries for the workers and things like that? Well, I, I mean, I, I think, don't we have that already minimum wage. i i thought we had that but i think there and there are a lot well, of, but you, you're not suggesting necessarily that we want these to be like minimum wage job right absolutely but i think um what you've seen all along is deborah ford and, and other education leaders in that area saying how are we going to prepare mm-hmm. this this workforce and yeah i understand that a lot of it is assembly line and yeah there's an opportunity that this could be automated but i think you go into this eyes wide open that ten thousand jobs number might be less than that. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, it's jobs in uh, in, a, in an area where they're yeah. well, and, and they're tech savvy autom- automation hmm. jobs, and you know these are people that that are highly skilled. They, they and they do have uh, opportunity elsewhere. They don't have to go to Kenosha or Racine. They can go to Chicago suburbs, wherever. So I think they're going to offer a competitive salary. I think the right. caliber of the worker is going to be incredible. Incredible. Well, and to the point you guys were making earlier too. It, to me, it's not just Foxconn. It it's it's the car responding businesses for example they, they they assemble the flat screens they put the flat screens in the in the iPhones and things like that well the, the flats you would presume that the flat screen manufacturers the people who make the flat screens that they're going to want to locate 
close yeah. to Foxconn. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so it's not just that one it's business. The supply chain. Right. It, it's that whole thing that's going to be out there. So it gives it the potential. See, I agree with you. I mean, I think it is a potential it's a potential game changer. Now, always there's got to be some sort of cost-benefit analysis. But part of the problem to me in Wisconsin all along has been when it comes to this type of stuff, we drag our feet, mm-hmm. we drag our feet, we debate these things. Um, to me, it's potentially a game changer. Mm-hmm. You don't think of Wisconsin as being a technology hub. Maybe this gives us something along those lines. You know, I'm a native of Racine, and so I grew up there in the 80s, and it was a very, very depressing environment. Graduating high school, you know, the joke was go off to college and never never look back, you know. And that's sad because we're seen as a gem on the lake. It's in a great location, you know, not far from Chicago. It's got the water right there. And I think that if we're seeing Kenosha, that area can get a shot in the arm. Kenosha's doing better than we're seeing. But that would just so strengthen the southeast part of our of our state. I'm excited for this. I hope the location works out. All right. Next topic. O.J. Simpson. Yeah. OJ's getting paroled. <laughs> um, <he'll, laughs> well, and in, in addition to spending whatever time he has left looking for the people who murdered his, his wife and uh, her, her friend, in addition to that, okay, where does OJ Simpson go from here? I mean, my prediction is, and I, I, I'm not saying I'm going to watch, my prediction is he's going to have his own reality TV show within oh. six months of getting out. He's going to be back in jail. He's a, he's gonna he's like he, he reminds me of well who is that Frank Jude who kept getting out of jail and then he, he he's this yeah, guy but Frank is, Jude didn't kill anybody I know in, but this guy's Robert, attracted yeah. to causing problems and people expect him to do something he said he's wrong. had a, he's, he ta- he testified yesterday in front of his parole hearing that he was he was a good guy and he's uh-huh. he's led a conflict free right. life well <laughs> I, I well and if he goes on the speaking tour I'm all yeah. hope is lost I, but, <laughs> but okay but don't you think he I I, I understand it, it it says where we are in the society but don't you think that he's going to be giving speeches at, at ten thousand dollars per him and Bill Cosby maybe Together? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, well, no, sir, but, sir, you, do, you, do you think he's going to be ostracized? See, yes. do you think you think he's going to be ostracized? I, I do. I, 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 the general sense everywhere I go is that he, even though his parole, I, I, he's got lots of things in his background. I mean, at the end of the day, I think most people still think he killed his wife. Well, I, I think. But I think some people don't care. Okay, Susan, so you're the PR. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm not being flipped. No, a I lot mean, of people I, don't care, and a lot of people don't remember, yeah. honestly. Okay, remembers. you're the PR maven. What Mo- do you think? Millennials. I mean, there's there's a whole generation that really doesn't know or maybe has some sort of recollection of my, what might have happened. But he's a charismatic, charming. He's looking good at 70 for having spent nine years in, in the... <laughs> In the, the the big house, and I think that I think what's going to happen is Jeff, you, you're spot on. He's going to have a reality TV show, oh, God. but he's going to wait a few years. Here's my prediction: He's going to go to Florida. That'll be big news that he gets into Florida. He's going to, you know, maybe move in with his buddy. I don't know. I think his house is on the market now. He'll live a qu- quieter life until he gets the big contract with one of the stations, one of the networks, and he'll have a reality TV show. See, I, where I think I, I where I think you're wrong is I think he's going to strike while the iron is hot, and he's going to yeah. figure. I'm <laughs> never going to be hotter than two weeks after I get out and, you know, where is OJ now? It, it'll be interesting. Could be right. Um, time will tell. Okay, our Right Stuff Awards are coming up. Stick around. It's 1154. You're listening to The Week in Review. I'm Jeff Wagner with Tracy Johnson and Susie Falk. 
11.57, Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. Our Right Stuff Awards, Ms. Falk. Yes, uh, Republican U.S. Senator John McCain. He's fighting the battle of his life right now with a very aggressive brain cancer at age 80. Um, But he has been an incredible um, person. His politics don't necessarily always align with mine, but I do so appreciate how every time he's knocked down, he bounces right back. He's like the quintessential great politician, and we need more like him, so good luck to John McCain. True American hero, Tracy Johnson. All right, my Right Stuff Award goes to the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission for their, their vote last week to uh, tighten up on the on the um, no-chase policy, and I hope that Chief Flynn will listen and take the guidance, and I hope that the mayor will support the commission uh, because I think it's it would be the start of some significant changes in our city, which we desperately need. You guys both knocked it out of the park this week. A standing ovation. To, oh. A couple of weeks ago, I mocked your choices. You knocked it out of the park, in my opinion. Uh, mine is more local. Um, it goes out to both the Waukesha and Sheboygan County Humane Societies, who this week agreed to uh, take in dogs that were from Korea that were going to be used essentially as food. <laughs> and Ooh. so they've... They've, they've taken in these dogs. They're going to um, arrange for adoptions. Um, it's a wonderful thing. So they're expanding this as part of a program with humane societies all across the country. But Waukesha and Sheboygan, the humane societies, outstanding. If you want a dog, go check it out.